<laughs> I thought it was pretty short myself, but okay. Nice, nice. All right, uh, let's turn to Galatians and chapter 4. Um, it'll be on the screen or on your phone app. I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and we're going to think about the first commandment. Galatians 4. Hear the word of God. Paul says, What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. This is the word of the Lord. Mm. I'm guessing. Yep, guessed right. Okay, what's wrong with that picture? It's a fun start, eh? It's too dark, you can't see it. <laughs> That's, that'll work. So there's two tablets up there, two stones, and one has one through five on and the other has six through 10. Any question about that? I'm just asking if there's things I need to teach you, so there is. If you're going to divide the Ten Commandments into two, it's one through four, love God, and six through ten, love your neighbor, right? Which is also Jesus' summary of the law. The other thing is, when there were two tablets given, they weren't actually dividing the law into two. They were identical copies, right? And the identical copies, one went in the ark, and I'm not sure exactly what they did with the other one. But here's my question. Because as I was looking at this, and it says it's King James language, and so it's not language I would use. It's not also Hebrew, so it's not the original. I wonder how much of what's written in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, was actually on those tablets. Because it said God wrote all these, said all these words, but when God said all those words in Deuteronomy, he said a few different words. 
And so what exactly was on those tablets? And we're not going to know that. That's just one of those wonderful mystery questions to get you thinking and to help us realize we don't have always all the information exactly how the details work, but we do have the Ten Commandments from God. So we are going to do, yep, there we go. Sorry, they're there. Um, a series on the Ten Commandments. And you see, I wrote one, two, three, dot, 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 ten. That's not just kind of getting you in the mindset that you can count from one to ten, right? That would be kind of mean for me to do that to you, because I know you can count to ten. I'm just telling you which ones I'm going to do. One, two, three, and then we're going to jump to ten. And that's intentional. I think one and two. So as I was preparing for the sermon, as I was being, um, having conversations with people about the Ten Commandments, um, I might have wrote about this. I asked a bunch of people, tell me what the first two commandments are. And I asked that intentionally because I knew that's a tough question, actually. And even for people who grew up, as I did, listening to the Ten Commandments every week, discerning actually which one is which and where they start is actually a little more challenging than you think. And understanding the difference between one and two, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this out loud, but I think the Heidelberg Catechism even got that wrong. Because the first one is no other gods, and the second one is don't make images of God. And under number one, don't have other gods, the catechism talks all about idolatry, idols, which I think would be making images of God, right? So there's an overlap, there's a bit of confusion. I will talk about one, two, three, and ten, and that will be August, and then we're going to move into our fall series, all right? Um, my Strange Bible, you heard Brady a couple times talk about Tim Mackey. He has a podcast exploring My Strange Bible, and... He does an amazing job of teaching the Bible in a way that totally intrigues you, but almost every podcast talks about, this is a strange book, isn't it? Because it's not written the way we would write a book, right? You'd never get away with writing the Bible, writing now the way the Bible was written in many ways. And so interestingly enough, though there's 10 commandments, there's 11 you shall nots, and one of the commandments does not have that in it. Right? And so why, there's why we say it's 10 as opposed to 11, in fact, I was looking up different lists of commandments, and one of them puts one and two together, which I understand, but they wanted to round it out to 10, so they, they separated coveting your neighbor's house from coveting your neighbor's wife as if those were two different commandments. And it just made me think again, there's lots about this that we can think and wonder about and learn and, and grow into, and that's what we're going to do in this series. So that by way of introduction, does God believe in gods? So God said all these words, and he said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And I think if you grew up in the church, we're always taught there's just one God. But God believes in other gods because he talks about them in his commandments, right? And notice the language. I think language is always so important in the Bible. That's why it was written, right? You shall have no other gods before me. It begs a question, this question in my mind first. What exactly is a god? That's your homework. What exactly is a god? What does it mean that you have a god? So God, capital G, says... I'm the Lord. And by the way, when you see those four capital letters together, that's a translation of the Y-H-W-H, or Yahweh, right? The unpronounceable name of God in the Old Testament. And so whenever you see that in your Bible, that's what's being referred to there. God is saying, I, your very specific named God, Yahweh, I brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. 
you're not supposed to have any other thing that you trust in more than me. And so my definition of a God is a God is something, someone that you trust in. And so God does know that along with him as God himself, God above all gods, there's other things you do need to trust in. I need to trust this stage. I need to trust that my technology works. I need to trust that I'll have a voice, right? All those things come from God. That's the point of the God, right? But the other gods, the lesser gods, are still there. They still function. And that's the whole point of this commandment. Make sure you understand who your creator is, who your savior is, who the, who the Lord of the universe is, even as you deal with all these other things that you need to work with, trust in, etc. All right. Who God am and who we is. I know it's the middle of the summer. That is intentional bad grammar. Don't imitate the way I speak. Who God am, because God always seems to be saying, I am. We talked in June about God's identifying himself as I am who I am, right? And Jesus picks that up in Gospel of John and at least seven times says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd, all those things. When God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, he's saying, I have, I have delivered you. Right? And as we read the broader story of the Bible, we understand God created us. He created this world. He gives us all the things that we have, right? And in essence, this command is about saying it's foolishness to depend on anything else above the one who actually made you, saved you, gathered you, and in their case, brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. So the reason Israel is not to have other gods is because God took them out of slavery. He delivered them. He set them free, right? And our stories, our testimonies, our faith is always based on this simple understanding that if God loved me so much to set me free, to cover my sin, to atone for me, then it makes most sense that I leave him in the rightful place as the most important person, most important being, most important God um, in my world and in my life. Then the role of the law. So this sermon series came out of the question a couple of times given to me, why don't we read the law regularly in our worship services? And if you don't know, if you didn't grow up with that, in the Reformed tradition, um, starting with John Calvin, reading of the law was a regular part of the scheduled liturgy, right? The scheduled worship service. But when I look at the law in this context, there are good reasons to, by the way, I'm not against reading the law. Um, when I look at it in this context, it seems to me that the law leaves us in a place that we want to get beyond. If we focus too much on the law, not ignoring it, but focusing too much on it, we're going to miss the opportunity to grow into what Jesus leads us to, which is simply trusting and loving and living it out in that way, having our hearts changed as opposed to simply having a lot of rules. So the role of the law, it says in, in Galatians, the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. What does that mean? Because most of us aren't living in that world. This means that when God called his people together, he said, I am going to give you the world. 
He started with saying the promised land, right? I'm going to form my kingdom is the New Testament way of talking about this. And you're going to inherit this, but right now you're, you're, you're just kids, right? Profession of faith is actually an example of this. When our kids are growing up, we give them lots of rules. You're going to Sunday school, you're going to church, right? You're gonna go color in the front of the church. You're gonna heckle Pastor Eric during the service, those kinds of things, right? That wasn't one of the rules. But we give them those rules and as their guardians or parents, right, we enforce them, we make that happen. But we all hope that at some point, our kids are gonna go, I don't actually need you to tell me what to do anymore, mom and dad, I can stand on my own two feet, I've been educated, I've grabbed my faith for myself, I've made my profession and so on. And at that point, we no longer hopefully tell them what to do, right? I don't call up my 27 year old son and say, right, did you brush your teeth today? Right? He probably can handle that himself. He sometimes tells me to brush my teeth now. That's how that goes. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. We were waiting for this freedom and the law then was all those rules and in Christ, we'll see in the next slide, this comes together. Jesus fulfills the law. When the set time had fully come, Paul writes, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Adoption to sonship. By the way, the male son as opposed to child or daughter here is because in, in the time of the Bible, only the oldest male, never mind any male, only the oldest male would inherit. And so the Bible translators have decided to keep that male because adoption into um, inheritance was always a male thing. So Jesus when he deals with the law of the New Testament, he takes some of the commandments, like saying, you shall not murder, and he says, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the fullness of that. So he says, if you even call somebody a fool, or hate them, or have anger towards them, you've broken this law, right? And sometimes when we read those things, we think, oh man, Jesus just made it even harder. No, but what Jesus said was, if you're gonna actually fulfill the law, if you're gonna actually do the fullness of what it means not to kill somebody, you need to have God's love in your heart beating in such a way that you don't just not maim them, you try and do your best for them, you try to help them, right? If we simply just read the Ten Commandments, we might get the impression that obeying the law is, well, I haven't killed anybody lately, or maybe not even at all. But God's understanding is, no, I don't want you to just to do the bare minimum. I want you to live into this into the in the Jesus way, in the full way, where your heart beats for people, where you have a love for people that reaches out and tries to help, as opposed to merely not harming. You have Holy Spirit hearts, and this is how this works. The Old Testament already started to say it. You have a heart of stone, but God is going to, by his spirit, soften your heart and give you a heart of flesh. So the whole point of Jesus coming, the whole point of the Holy Spirit being poured out is that we might have this renewed relationship where we're not scared, are, are, are we doing well enough? Have I broken any rules lately? But where we're inspired to go, God was so amazingly loving to me that I wanna love other people. Did you all hear that, by the way, in Kirsten's testimony? Right, her summary of her faith was, God loves me so much, and I'm called to love everybody just in that kind of a way. Brilliant summary of what we believe. Simple too, isn't it, right? Love God, be loved by God, and love others. Because you are 
his sons, his inheritors, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And so again, um, as we move into this fall, we're going to keep looking at prayer. And as we look at prayer, we're always looking at not, are you obeying the rules by doing enough prayer? No, that's immature faith. But are you meeting God in prayer? Are you allowing the spirit to speak with your spirit? Are you sensing that God actually prompts you along the way? And can we celebrate that? Um, when that happens. You have the Holy Spirit in your heart as followers of Jesus. All right, so the reason I picked this passage is because it actually has the, new, the first commandment um, in New Testament language. It goes like this. So you are no longer a slave, there's that same language, but God's child. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to these weak and miserable forces? So it's this, if you experience God in such a way that you know and feel that he loves you deeply and that you are his cherished child and that nothing will ever separate you from that love, Romans 8, then why in the world would you look to anything else to be the source of strength and energy and life and hope in your life, right? And that's a really big and important question, and if I may be so bold, one that I think all of us struggle with, right? The reason God says, I'm the Lord your God, do not follow or trust in other gods is because he knows that's what's going to happen for us. Let me give you a few examples. Here's some enslaving gods that we might choose in our world. Work. How many of us believe that we're valuable because of what we accomplish? Just me. Okay. Or I'm the only one who's on the stage putting his hand up. Okay. If you grew up in this community, as you three said you did, I guarantee you struggle with this. Right? We've called it the Protestant work ethic and tried to make a nice spin on it. It's called workaholism, people. Believing that you're valuable because of what you accomplish, right, is following a different God. God may love me, but I better produce enough stuff, otherwise I'm not really a valuable human being, right? That's an interaction that we need to process. Money. I'm valuable because I have. Anyone not struggle with that one? I'll make it easy for you this time. Anyone not struggle with the reality that we assess everybody around us, including ourselves, based on, well, what am I driving and where am I living? And what if that person's driving something nicer? And what if that person is living somewhere less? Do you assess a homeless person as equally blessed in this world to yourself? Probably not. In God's eyes, based on Jesus' life, should we equally assess everybody in this world as a beloved child of God? I think so, right? This is one of those gods that sneaks in and makes it messy and makes the first commandment a challenge. Experience. I'm valuable because I feel. That's the world we live in today, right? You need to have experiences. You need to go places. You need to be able to talk about and share about and, and post about all the neat things that you've done because that may, gives us the sense, yeah, I'm connected. I'm valuable. And finally, knowledge. I'm valuable because I know things. You ever had somebody, and maybe it was even me, come and talk to you about something and they're telling you all kinds of information. They're really excited about it and they forgot one question. Did you want to know? Right? They feel valuable because they know stuff and they want to tell you and they're excited about it, right? And so they may not be paying attention to how you're experiencing that conversation. 
the first commandment is more than, yeah, I know who God is, I know who I believe in, and yep, he's first, I make that statement. It's wrestling with the realities that there's all kinds of things in this world that want to pop God out of the way, right? And so I want to suggest this, that we lean into being beloved and free children of God. That's Romans 8, that's Galatians 4, which we're reading today. That's the theme of the Bible over and over again. You are a beloved and free child of God. God loves you, and that is what gives you any kind of value. Therefore, you're valuable at work or rest or play, and dare I say it, when you're sleeping, when you're napping, right? I know how much I struggle with those things because I went on a silent retreat many years ago, and uh, my, my mentor on the retreat, on the retreat my, uh, my spiritual director, I asked her, am I doing this right? I want to know what I'm supposed to be accomplishing. And she looked at me, and what she actually said was, you Calvinists. <laughs> Fair, right? What I tell people when I encourage them to do silent retreats is, if you fall asleep, that's because God thought you might need a rest. And those of us who are valued by what we accomplish think no possible way that what God wants for me is that I actually just fall asleep when I'm supposed to be doing something else, even though I don't know what that is, right? This dynamic is deep within us. I'm valuable no matter what I'm doing. Even if I don't feel like doing something, I'm still a valued child of God. Can we hang on to that reality? Because God values us. Second is I'm loved whatever I have. I'm loved whatever I have. Even if other people aren't always saying it that way, are we able to find a way to say to somebody who is struggling in whichever way they're struggling and help them experience that they're loved just because they're human, right? To me, that's why we need to do service projects. That's why we need to be on the streets with people because we need to interact with people whose lives don't look like ours have you ever noticed that no homeless people go to our church? Have you ever wondered why that is? Right? I'm just going to drop that one with you. Think about that, right? Whatever your circumstances are, we need to be able to communicate to people their love exactly the way they are, and that's the first step towards whatever is next for them. And then, I think this actually captures it all. When I know that I'm loved, I have all. When I know that I'm loved, I have all. When I experience that God sees me as his precious child, all the other things become less important. So, I'm going to give you an assignment, because sometimes you want more practical things to do. Write your own of these two things. Write your own 10 or 11 commandments, depending on how you count. You can make 12 if you want to, it's okay. I'm, ooh, I thought they were cutting me off for talking too long. Um, I'm going to do one in a minute that I've written, and I encourage you to um, go through the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, that's the two places you can find them, or the Heidelberg Catechism, and put them in your own words, because as I'm already suggesting, they're a little more confusing and complicated than you think they are. They require explanation sometimes, and you're leaning into, what does that actually mean for me, is an incredible exercise, and please, 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 if you do this, or even when you do this, send me a copy. I would love to read them and think about it. It also tells me what's living among us, okay? And the second is our own I am statements, right? How do you identify yourself, right? 
If you identify yourself as, I'm a hard worker, um, I, have, I have plenty of money, um, I've done a lot of amazing things, whatever your, those are, right, you might be missing the right God spot. And so think about how do you finish an I am statement that celebrates that God is your God, that you love this first commandment and you love God above all else. And I know these aren't really probably really easy assignments and it's a long weekend in the middle of the summer, but please do it anyways, because it'd be really good for your spiritual growth. You heard Jason say, right, that he was glad his parents pushed him. You heard that too, didn't you, parents? <laughs> right? That being stretched is the way we grow, has always been, probably always will be, all right? And so when I give you these assignments, the challenge is not that, oh yeah, just spend a couple minutes doing this. It won't be easy, but it will be a blessing to try and figure out who I am. I'm, I'm in a group, I'm sure I've told you about it. So one of my I am statements is not really an I am statement. It goes like this, it's just another cat. It's just another cat, which I know makes no sense. If you really want to know about that, come talk to me sometime. We'll talk about your story, I'll tell you my story, and we'll work on moving forward in some of this kind of work. All right, so I'm going to now read, by way of conclusion, my version of God's Ten Commandments. And I call this Ten Responses to the Gift of the Time to Live. Ten Responses to the Gift of Life. First, recognize God as the giver of life, the master of the universe, the first and foremost guide for your life. Two, let nothing or no one else take the place or play the role of God in your life. Number three, use words to praise and to serve God. Four, take the time to pause and reflect on God's goodness regularly. Five, Respect the authority of people in this world as a delegation of and a reflection of the authority of God. And six, respect the life of others as his gift to them and view them with awe and wonder, no matter how different they are from you. Seven, respect the relationships of others by dealing closely with those closest to you and keeping appropriate distance from those more distant from you. Eight, Respect the stuff of others as their tools for their service and their celebration in life. Nine, respect the power of language by not hurting anyone with your words. And 10, respect the creative imbalance of life by practicing contentment in any and all circumstances. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would help us lean fully into how much you love us and that as we recognize that and own that and experience that, that we would find it a more natural rhythm for us each day to also love you and serve you as well as our neighbor. This we pray in your holy name. Amen.